Well, everyone, this is going to be an edition of the Ramos Law podcast that you are going to cherish, especially if you're a person that values the core concept of faith and love and how that relates to all areas of life, whether it's business, personal, growing a company. Uh, my guest today is Mr. John Bandemir Jr., and he has been a stalwart piece of Denver history. He and his father and his family, as they built one of the nation's leading um, racetracks, and it's right here in Denver. And my conversation with him today is truly a gem. So uh, enjoy, listen with your heart, and I think you'll have a great time just like I did. Welcome back to the next and most recent edition of the podcast, everyone. I have been looking forward to this show for a long time as I have as my guest, an incredible person, an incredible stalwart in the business community here in Colorado. Not only he, but his family have made a huge dim, uh, impact and a huge difference in how people enjoy a Saturday or a Sunday or a Monday. They, they just do all kinds of things that I cannot wait to share with you. And my guest today, without holding back anymore, is Mr. John Bandemir Jr. of the world-famous Bandemir Speedway. John, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Well, I'll tell you what, like I said, I'm a little giddy. It's like I'm <laughs> starstruck by, by yeah. having you here today. We're going we're gonna to have a great time because from I'm not even a huge car guy or huge racing fan, but you have been a part of my life, mm. literally, it, without being you know like an like a uncle or anything like that. Your place has been part of my life since high school. Wow. Yeah, I, I grew up here in Denver. I went to a small Christian school called Silver State Baptist way back, graduated in 85. Yes. And we had a group of us that would like to go to the track. And even then I did not know anything about cars, but you know, I had a 69 Chevelle and it was kind of built up and kind of fast, right? For that time in the eighties. Sure. And so we would go there and we would watch the races. And mm. so to have you here and be able to share the rich history and mm. how you guys have done what you're doing, this is a, a big treat for me. So thank you again for coming. Yep, absolutely. And I'm thrilled to hear that you went to Silver State. I did. I All did. All three of my kids graduated from <clears throat> Beth Eden. Beth Eden, that's right. That was one of our schools that we, our competition in different yeah. sports and things yeah. of that nature. I that's great. I coached uh, basketball. Oh, for you Beth did? Eden. And we used to play you guys. <laughs> That's amazing. You probably beat us a few times. Well, I don't know if we did or not. Well, you know, it's so funny. And this is this is neither here nor there as far as that goes. But because we both have this tie into mm -hmm. the Christian school community, um, the, the school I went to, Silver State, was uh, we won one state championship in football and one in basketball in mm -hmm. the entire – in fact, that school still exists today. Right. And those are the only two state championships that we won. And it happened to be in um, the year 83. So wow. they were both happened. It was one basketball season and the next football season consecutive. Wow. So there was just a group of athletes there. That was my junior year. And so I didn't play on the basketball team, but I played on the football team. But it was so exciting at yeah. that time, right? Yeah, and I'm absolutely. sure you guys, I had friends that went to Beth Eden. And mm -hmm. man, what a crazy time. Oh, yeah. How was coaching basketball? How did you get into basketball from a car guy? That's <laughs> interesting. I actually coached little league sports from the time I was 18 years old for about 20, 22 years. Wow. So were you yeah. an athlete growing up and yeah, you just I was. loved all I the sports? I went to Wheat Ridge High School. Okay. I, I uh, lettered in all three sports and uh, enjoyed uh, all of them, football, basketball, and baseball. Okay. Um, but my, I didn't have an older brother. I have a younger brother and an older sister, but my, what I called my older brother was a fellow by the name of Bill Vincent. And Bill Vincent was the head of all Jefferson County umpires, referees, and so on. Wow. And so when 
I got out of high school, he said, John, I want you to coach this little team that I, I uh, called the Little Whites. Um, and I said, no, I don't want to do that. And he said, yeah, you do. You <laughs> and you're 18 and your big brother's telling you what's up. So anyway, <laughs> I, I started and I coached and, and, um, we were, um, we were sponsored by Mr. Anderson. It was Anderson tire company. They ended up being called Pickering automotive later on, but, um, Anyway, it was it was really a neat experience, and uh, I learned a lot through that. And let me tell you what I learned because I'm going to ask you a question. Uh oh. Do you remember the score of any game you ever played in? I would say the closest I ever remember was the state championship game when I was a junior in high school, and I don't remember exactly. I remember it, it was right around, you know, twenty to sixteen. But there you go. Yeah, not not very close. No, but. Why I put you on the spot is that I now communicate with a lot of the kids, you know, that I coached years and years ago, and they can't remember the score of any game, but they do remember that I prayed with them. No kidding. Yeah. They never, they never forgot that I was the guy that always prayed with them before and after the game. Interesting. And, and I think that that's really, uh, to me, it's a testimony, but yet the point being is that, um, Today, coaches are so concerned about winning. Mm. It's all about winning. At the end of the day, it's not about winning. It's about how you develop the character. Of the man, of the, of the yes, woman, the young lady, right. young man. Yep. That's and so it's interesting as we, as we look at that, I, I'm interested to see if you took some of those principles, and obviously you did, but how that develops into your family business. There's so many things, because you obviously didn't start the mm. business. Your father did, right? Correct. And so yep. at the time, did he see some of those principles and, and use that with you guys as well, as far as developing your moral character and your work ethic and your discipline? And how did he get into the racing business in the first place? Well, that's a great question. Um, my father <clears throat> grew up in Golden, Colorado. Um, he was on a farm uh, with several siblings. He had everything tore apart trying to make it run faster. And finally, one day, his father said to him, he said, John, I haven't got a tractor that's together. Everything's <laughs> apart. Uh, I you just need to go and get into the automotive business someplace. And was this in like the 1940s no, this would have, maybe? Well, I was born in 1938. Okay. So this would oh, have been, okay. we're, we're talking probably the 30s. Okay. All right. And so he started a shop on 14th and Broadway and had a partner by the name of Marty Keller. And they did what they call high altitude tune-ups because- we're 5,000 feet high in Denver, and, and, of course, needless to say, it's hard to get air. And so that was how he got started. But he was the first guy to ever supercharge anything. Your because, dad was? Mm-hmm. First, first one in the, in, uh, that I know of, uh, he had a little shop on Benton Street in Wheat Ridge that he had a foundry in the back, and he made manifolding and, and all of the pulleys and everything to supercharge cars. And now, was supercharging a thing back then? Like well, people no. knew what supercharging was, or did he no. kind of no, come he, up with the concept? Well, he just needed, when you don't have air, you got to make it. And so uh, everything was a flathead, right? You had flathead Ford, flathead Chick, six cylinders. So the way you could r make them run better would be to mill the head or the block 
and make it to where the piston comes farther up into the cylinder, which gives you more compression. Okay. And the more compression you have, then the better it'll run in, in this altitude. So he that was one of the things they did. But then he really got hooked on superchargers because you could put air in the engine, you know, externally and it really make them run of course today it's a big thing turbochargers and all that kind of stuff yeah they you can buy a car with a i have one that's got twin (laughs) (laughs) i love it that's beautiful I i like the horsepower that is fun but dad dad wanted um i was um i graduated from high school in 56 and um so and and when i say that I'm just trying to think. I think my dad's shop on on Broadway was probably in the 40s, th- between the 30 uh, late 30s and 40s. Okay. Because okay? see, during that period of time is when the midget automobile, little tiny midgets that they raced quite a bit, raced them at Lakeside, Englewood. Right. Yes. That was what my dad was involved in quite okay. a bit. There was a motorcycle shop on West Colfax, where Avalanche. Harley Davidson used to be, and that was called uh, Ray Cook, and it was called Cook the Motorcycle King, and it was a uh, 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 Harley Davidson shop at that time. But Ray really liked midgets, and so he owned all the cars, and my dad worked on them. Wow. So that was how we did. Did your dad ever talk about, I never thought about this till you just said the timing and what he was doing. That building performance cars it's a luxury right it always has been it's not like you needed it what Mm -hmm. happened during the world war ii era in that business because i know a lot of business literally even the candy business went into the provide soldiers protein bar business did did it affect your dad's business in in that way tremendously in fact my dad and mother during that war dad never did go to the service because he was hired uh, by the government. He worked for the Emily Griffin School downtown at that time. And mom and dad taught the widows or the people who were without husbands because they were in the war how to change oil, uh, change a spare tire if they had wow. to. Wow. You know, all of the things that women really would need to have to they do. They had to do. Yeah, yeah, because no one was there to help them. And so that was part of their uh, early education and, and things that they were involved in. That kind of led them into the auto parts business. And so they became involved in, in selling parts to, and, and, of course, performance. Then my dad always liked the performance, so it became Bandemir Auto Parts. We specialize in performance is what it was. I actually got involved personally in the auto parts business uh, after I got out of high school and uh, took a shot at college, which didn't end up being much. But It uh, wasn't your thing? It just... No, it really wasn't. I went to CSU yeah. for about a year and a half, and uh, I, I lettered in football, though, there. Did you really? Yeah, I actually did as a freshman. Wow. And you were some athlete because you don't just walk on any D1 school, even yeah. no matter what, and, I, I and was, letter. I was, I, God gave me really good hands. I could, I could catch just about anything that you could throw at me. And so that was really a, a, a special deal. I, that gave me the opportunity to be all conference in high school and like that. But, wow. But anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there. I, but yeah, but, but it's a cool but I was small. story. I was small. Okay. You know, I mean, think about it. I mean, 
now if you're not six seven and weigh <laughs> two hundred and fifty pounds, you're not going to be a tight end. That's right. But, That's right. So so you go through that process. You decide. Was it your grades that let you know that college wasn't for you, or was it the kind of thing where you where you said, <laughs> "Man, I'm my heart's not in." And I think it's an important message because. For a long time in our country, it was for you to succeed, you have to go to college. And yeah, now right. with the internet and with all these ways to learn information, it's not viewed by a lot of people the same. And so for anyone listening who either has kids that are getting ready to go to college or maybe even a, a kid who's wondering what to do, I'd really like your insight on on how how does that work? How did it work for you? And, and what do you think about that? Well, okay. Growing up in the automotive industry, of course, my dad was a, a really what I called a workaholic. He really loved to be in the garage and, and build things and build race cars and so on. And you'd think that a kid would say, wow, that's for me. But I had a girlfriend in high school whose father was a cattle buyer and uh, they lived out in, uh, in the golden area. And I, I always, every summer went to my grandfather's for the summer. We raised sweet corn and we had cattle and, and uh, milk cows and pigs. And, uh, and I always enjoyed that. My grandfather raised quite a few vegetables that we took them down and sold them in the Five Points area. Uh, so I'd go with him every Saturday down to do that. And so I really kind of had this idea that I'd like to be a cattle buyer and I'd wow. like to get into that. So when I went to CSU, I took botany and animal husbandry and all of those courses that you would take for that. And it was a specialty school for that, right? Because I went to CSU. That's yep. where I went in, in the mm -hmm. 80s. And, yep. and even then it was known as an ag school, Correct. agriculture school, where that was where people went for that kind yep. of thing, specialty. Yeah. Yep. But it, once I got there, um, honestly, uh, the truth of the matter is I learned how to water ski um, and <laughs> on I, horse tooth. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Horse tooth <clears throat> and Windsor Lake. Um, one of my roommate was a fellow that ended up later on being the mayor of, of uh, Windsor. If you can imagine wow. that. Wow. Dennis Miller was his name. I don't know if Dennis is still alive or not, but anyway, and, and of course, you know, you learn how to chase girls and all of the things that, but, but honestly, um, I came back and my mom said, you know, well, you know, you could certainly go to work for us. And I said, I think I better do that. <laughs> so I did, went to work for him. And, and the, that was that. The rest is history. Now, were you good with cars as a young guy or I, did you have to learn it all at that time? No, I was, I was okay. I, I really wasn't a mechanic like my dad. However, I've put together several engines and tore a lot of stuff apart. I've had a lot of really fast cars. And uh, I've enjoyed that part of it. I, I'm not really today uh, that excited about doing the mechanical things. Sure. Uh, I, I really, I really like the promotion. Uh, I like selling, uh, and and so that that became really where the Lord kind of moved me as things went along. So. Did your dad see your strengths in that, or did you have to show your your dad like, hey, you know what? Let me try this. I can help drive the business through these. Or did he see it in you and kind of move you in that direction? That's a that's an interesting question. I'm 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 I'll tell you that story. That story is very simple. We were sitting at a table very similar to what we're sitting at right now. Uh, I had become involved in the parts business, and then he had started the racetrack because he wanted to get guys like myself off of the street. Uh, we were 
kind of racing on the street, and which is not safe. Now, was that at Colfax at that time? Because that's where we used to race. We actually, our, the, we raced everywhere, but the, the, <laughs> we the, raced the everywhere. main place that we raced, honestly, was on uh, Kipling, between um, which would be Sixth Avenue and Alameda. If you know, there's a median there, and if you knew exactly where the police were, they couldn't catch you. Is that where they put a, a federal uh, facility there <laughs> down the road? <laughs> they couldn't catch you. That's Excuse funny. Me. And, you know, it's funny because people are probably listening to this, certainly outside the Denver area, hopefully all around the, the globe. Um, that's a good stretch between yeah. 6th Avenue and Alameda. There's That's a good bit of road right there. Yeah, and it's pretty straight. <laughs> it is pretty straight. Uh, if, you, if you live in Lakewood, um, the, the best place was to start at the bottom of Alameda going up the hill towards uh, the racetrack. And if your car could go from a standing start to 100 miles an hour at the top of the hill, you had a pretty stout car. Yes, you did. And you still do. Yeah. <laughs> and it's uh, even today, if you could do that, that's pretty good. Thing. Absolutely. Because I know that hill very well. Yeah. And so as you're as you're doing that, then again, you're, you guys are sitting at a table like this. And then does he say to you, you know, John? No, here's what happened. We we got going in the racing business. Um, I was running the auto the auto parts along with my wife. I'd been got married and we started to have family, and we were using the money up out of the parts business to com complete the racetrack. And it got to the point where we really see the the racetrack really started as a hobby. It did not it start did. as a business. And that was around 1958, 1960? It would have been 58, 59, 60 in that area. And so um, um, it, it took a lot of money. And we weren't really running any major events. And so I had uh, um, got a hold of NHRA, and we started a national event. And it was uh, Sports Nationals in 1978. Then in 1979, it became a full national event. And it's been a full national event ever since. This would have been probably in the 80s. I'm going to say probably 81, 82. Mm -hmm. We did not run on Sunday. Um, we race on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights is what we would run. We didn't race on Sunday because my father had made a vow uh, to the Lord that he would not race on Sunday if the Lord would spare his child, which is my brother. Young, he's seven years younger. He came down with spinal meningitis when he was 18 months old. The Lord did spare him, and my dad never raced on Sunday again. Are you kidding me? Never. I never heard that story, yeah. and I know your brother. Yeah. I never heard yeah. that. Yeah, he... he um, um, uh, there's a really interesting story on that, and that is... When you race midgets, they run methanol. And methanol is a very dry fuel. It needs to have what they call top oilers, so it'll oil the valves and et cetera. And so they put a product in called benzene. And uh, benzene will have a real pugnant smell when the exhaust would uh, um, come out. You put it in the fuel. And uh, he, I remember my dad and mom's prayer when they asked the Lord to spare their son and my dad said he would never race on Sunday again, Lord, if you spared him. But he said, you're going to have to take the smell of the exhaust away from me. Oh. And I think a lot of people don't really understand that. But if you're really into motorsports, the people who come to the national event, when they fire up a nitro car, you see the people just run to those areas. 
because they there's something about smelling that nitromethane that everybody wants to get a whiff of it. I don't. I run away from it, but everybody <laughs> else runs to it, and so that's the way it goes. But that's beautiful. So anyway, we we race on Friday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Our rain day was Sunday. Okay. Uh, for a national event, never had to use that until I, I think it was around '83, and um, we had a horrible rainstorm on Saturday afternoon, right about time for eliminations. Um, everybody left the place and left their shoes and their, everything else in the mud because at that point in time it wasn't developed like it is today. Mm-hmm. And uh, typical Colorado the sun came out, dried things out. They dried things up came back the next day and ran the race. So I'm sitting at the table with my dad and I said, dad, why did we get involved? And why did you get involved in this? And you don't race. I know why you don't race on Sunday, but, but people only have Saturday and Sunday off. That's the only two days they had off. And I said, we just ran this race on Sunday and I could have ran the race with half of the security people. Uh, Trust me at night, Lots of things go on, but, and and I always use this example. Why are bars dark? I'll tell you why they're dark because the Bible says men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. That's exactly, they want to hide. And so that's why a bars that way. Well, my dad, he looked at me and he had a great big bunch of keys and he just took those keys and pushed them across the table. And I mean, as long as this table here and pushed them down to me, he says, it's not mine to run anymore, it's yours. What? Well, that day you'd had no idea that was coming and no. the keys come to you. That was the day. So from that day on, uh, it was my responsibility to make decisions. My dad, uh, my mother passed away uh, when she was quite young. She was only 50. 354 years old. Uh, my dad remarried. And uh, um, ironically, my mother's name was Francis, and my stepmother's name was Francis. Really? And her husband's name was John. So they were, and they were good friends. So mm. anyway, uh, uh, dad never came to the racetrack on Sunday when the races were going on. We might have a race, and then he and Francis would come and help pick up trash. Wow. Uh, we all learned how to pick up trash. That was, uh, you know, and I, I might throw that in just as a little yeah, please, note. Okay? Please. Trash is beautiful. Trash is beautiful. Okay. Um, people don't realize that, but the most important part of any event when it's over is that if there isn't any trash, you didn't do much. Oh, think I of, see. Think about it, okay? When you, when you see a lot of trash and trash barrels full, of course, that's not a good sign that you don't have good staff to keep it clean. But, but the other side of it is, is it, I, many times I'm really, I, I look around after an event's over and I just thank the Lord because that means you sold something. You had a lot of people doing a lot of things, that's enjoying right. themselves. Yep. Wow. So that's kind of how I became involved in in that part of the business so i i noticed that looking at the um basically looking at your website and kind of seeing stuff the track originally had was it supposed to also have a oval with Mm -hmm. it and Mm -hmm. then also it was designed to help it sounded like anyway teach kids Mm -hmm. about performance and all that kind of stuff 
did that stuff ever come to fruition? And if it did, where did that wind up? <coughs> the racetrack started as the Safety Proving Grounds of America. That's called SPGA. That was the name of the facility. It had an oval that dad had cut in. Um, and we never did ever run it as an oval track. It was like about a two-mile oval. It was could have been a NASCAR track, I suppose, eventually. We really didn't have enough space when you really get right down to it to be able to do that there. Didn't have enough acreage. Um, the, the school part, uh, of course, my dad was uh, very involved with uh, Warren Tech and all of the other schools that had automotive schools at that time, he would go and teach and help the kids to understand automotive because uh, he was very, he was a very good mechanic. Um, but uh, as far as us ever having a real major school there, no. However, uh, it, as years have gone by, uh, the Master Drive Driving School is now there at the racetrack. And of course, the go-kart track has become a, a very big part of our business. And what is the Master Drive School? Is that is that to show how to drive in certain conditions or what's the... No, every, every 15 year old in the state of Colorado has to go through a driving school before they get a license now. That's oh, a, I did not know that's that. That's a state. Okay. Uh, <coughs> and Master Drive <clears throat> is ran by a gentleman um, that uh, lost his daughter in a, a wreck that's typically how usually those type of things start. Mm -hmm. His daughter had uh, got into a um, um, some ice, lost control of the car, was killed, and um, Ron was a uh, 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 racer. He, he raced uh, um, on road courses and very good driver, and he just decided that that's what he wanted to do the rest of his life. And uh, he's a really... Uh, Unique man loves the Lord and uh, loves kids, and uh, so they've they've done very well. It's a, uh, um, uh, I'd say I don't know how many students they have or whatever, but they have a skid pad. They put every one of their students totally out of control so that they can have a really good idea what it's like once you're out of control. A lot of people who drive a car, of course, in Colorado, they get out of control and they say, thank you, Lord, I made it, right? Right, but they don't know the why. snow and ice and But such. they don't know why. Yes. And uh, so that's really an important thing. Yeah, wow. And as you guys have, have developed a business, I'm interested in looking through it. it. It seems like there's a lot of family ties, even today, running the yeah. business. And the thing that I wonder, when I was practicing chiropractor, my wife worked in the business with me and, mm -hmm. and there's some really good stuff to that. But I've also seen plenty of times where having someone so close as family can be a struggle. So how have you guys managed that for anyone who might be listening that either mm -hmm. has a family business, any, any tips on how a you build a business as a family and B how do you solve conflict? Is it different with family members than it is with non-family members in a business? I wish that I could tell you that it was. <laughs> uh, we're in the uh, fourth generation. It was really easy first and second generation. Third generation started to become a situation. I mean, you know, that third generation now is 55, 56, 57 years of age. And their kids, which would be the fourth generation, are now in their 20s and 30s. Um, it, as it expands... Uh, 
you know, the, the advice that I now <clears throat> can give to people as I've lived through this is that as you have children, <clears throat> you don't need to expect them to be involved, but you encourage them to go out into the industry, whatever it is that they like, and find out what the world really has, and then come back. Because wow. once you come back, you really realize what you have. Wow. I think that when you grow up in a family business, then all of a sudden it's kind of like, well, you know, I, I deserve this. And you don't deserve anything. You, I mean, you have to earn it. And I think that um, that's, now that's a whole different story than what it's like to be a Christian. Mm -hmm. We don't deserve any of it, mm. right? It's something that uh, is ours by the gift of, of Christ. But I think that that uh, today, as I look at my grandchildren, um, we got a couple of them that work at Disney, and we have uh, a one that uh, looks like she might be moving to Texas, and we have one now living down in Pueblo, and and we have uh, two or three that are still working for us. But uh, I think that you know uh, it, it's very difficult for family members, especially if you're a Christian family. Uh, you you you, you want to make sure that they really and truthfully are a good testimony. Okay. And I think that's more important than anything else is that, let's face it, we can tell people all we want about Christ, but what brings people to the Lord are what they see. Mm. And so for you, it, it sounds like for from what I'm hearing, you guys consider the expression of your business as an expression of your faith. Amen. And so if you have a family member, would you ever look at someone and say, like your dad maybe did with you, hey, John, you have great skills to run the business. I see that. I'm tossing you the keys. Did you ever see any family members that you said, you would be perfect for this part of the business? And the opposite, maybe did someone, did a thing ever come and say, man, you're just not, even though you're family, God love you. You're, just, you're not fit for what we do here. You're better off chasing something else. How, how does that work? <laughs> That's what we're going through right now. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. That's a great question. No, it's really true. I mean, what happens is, you know, hey, life is not always fair. True. Uh, I mean, sometimes we think that every, hey, I'm a, I'm a believer. Everything should go really well for me. But, you know, I mean, I think that the devil works overtime on those of us that know him. Um, and so consequently, yeah, it, um, right now I, I think that it, it's been really, it's been exciting to, to see the, the pathway that uh, has been in your life. To answer your question, what happens is as life goes on and you have the opportunity to live, and I, the Lord's allowed me to live, and next month will be 82 years. So I, I, I'm glad to be able to be around 82? <laughs> you don't even look 72. What's happening right now? I don't know. But, but I guess that's what you get when you go, drive fast and play a lot of golf. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but I will tell you this, that, that um, there are signposts in your life. And you, what you do is you go, you're going through things and you just can't understand why you're going through this. Lord, why am I going through this? And then afterwards, you turn around and you look back and you know exactly why you went through it. You had to, to get to the other side of, of wherever that blessing or that treasure or whatever was you needed to do it. 
Yeah, let me give you a biblical example. When they took the Ark of the Covenant and they were going to go across the Jordan, what did they have to do? They had to step into the water. Until they stepped into the water, the water did not part. Mm. That had to be a big moment. Scary you read, moment. A scary moment. Right. And so I think that that's really the, the issue there. Wow. And so as you guys have been a, a part of this community for so long, was your dad really involved in the community? It sounds like your mom and dad did their part in the war effort, then the business starts, then mm -hmm. the racetrack starts. When did you become, or, or maybe it was before you, but when did the business become um, a driving force in the business community? Because I know I was at a, a recent Chamber of Commerce event where it's been maybe two years mm -hmm. ago and you were honored as as part of the the West Metro Chamber, like mm. a, a difference mm -hmm. maker in business. How did that unfold for you guys? And, and what has that brought to your life? Well, to I'll, I'll go back. When mom and dad chose to get into the auto parts business, young people, um, and when I say young people, I'm talking about guys who were in their late teens, 20s, et cetera, they all had a, a need for speed, so to speak. They liked right. that performance. And a lot of them didn't have any money. Mm -hmm. And I always wondered, um, mom and dad would virtually allow the guys to come in and buy things and then pay for it on time. No in other kidding. words, they, they extended credit. They extended credit to them. And, and honestly, most, I would say probably 99% always paid. Wow. They just did because they want, they wanted to be a, be a part of that in group. Mm -hmm. I think that was probably the most important thing that, in other words, they trusted them and, um, <clears throat> they knew where my dad stood. My dad had a sign on the wall in his auto parts and, and uh, actually in his shop on Benton. And he just, it, the signs, uh, I can remember the, the, the verbiage that said, thank you for not using the Lord's name in vain because he is my Lord and savior. Hmm. That was it. And so people would come around and you could hear them have conversation. And all of a sudden they would say something. They say, oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry. Please forgive me for saying that. Because remember, they knew, mm -hmm. they knew where he stood. Right. And uh, dad had the opportunity, I think, um, I love talking about my dad. I hope you don't mind, but no, but, no, it's fine. See where my dad's ministry was, was believe it or not, his ministry was more with the, the boys that came home from the war than it was really in the racing business. Okay. He spent, he was a Gideon and, and he was very involved in, in the placing of new testaments, but there wasn't hardly a Sunday night that my dad would not be at Fitzsimmons Army Hospital and be sharing with the young men that were there. Their moms and dads, their family, many of them would not come to see him because half their faces were blown off and they had arms and limbs that were gone and they were a mess. Wow. And, uh, and so your dad went to go ease their pain and share with them and talk to them and comfort them. and He'd lead them to the Lord. That, mm. that was where his heart was. And uh, he, so he was really involved in that. He was part of the old Denver Bible Institute, which was the DBI, they called it. And, and I remember that he and mom used to go and, and take 
Bible study lessons and enjoyed that. It, that was that was kind of a part of growing up. You know, church today is not a lot of the kids don't understand, but we used to go Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I mean, it seemed like we lived there. I, I remember it was. Uh, I remember that that yeah, time for you sure. I do. Yeah. I do. Now, as far as then that tying into the business, when you, when did you guys start getting into the the business world around you? Not just the Bandemir business, but you became part of the fabric of of business growth and development in this whole part of town. Well, I think that when I was in the part business and I wasn't involved at the track as much, I got involved in the Denver. Um, visitors and business uh, center, like a chamber of commerce kind of thing. It's it, it, they, what they call it, the Denver Visitors and Something Association. <laughs> anyway, it was a you know there was guys like uh, Barry Hirschfeld and and uh, the folks that owned uh, the big milk company and and. Uh, John Hickenlooper was a part of that. He had his young bar. businessman at that time, he had right? His bar downtown at that yeah. time. Cherry Cricket. Yeah, well, it was right off, right there, close to the uh, uh, train station. Okay, right in that okay. area. Yep. But there was just several guys that uh, I was involved with, and I was on that board for okay. several years. So I, that was I kind of reached out and got involved in that. Like I'm. Uh, I became, uh, I think I'm actually a member of their Hall of Fame. <laughs> I, I know it's, there's some stuff that happened on that, which was great. Uh, it was always fun. Barry Hirschfeld and I have been friends for years and years and years and years. Hirschfeld Press. And they've no, they're no longer in business today. But but anyway, uh, that happened. And then when I got out in the, the, the county, it was very important to me that we were involved with the chamber. Uh, yeah, uh, I live in Wheat Ridge. I've lived there all my life. Um, uh, the, the Chamber of Commerce, it didn't do a lot for me, but when I became the chair of the chamber, I tried to explain to see the Chamber of Commerce had a front door where they were trying to sell memberships, mm -hmm. but they also had a back door that was wide open. It seemed like people just, they come in and then they wouldn't see anything and so they'd be gone. And they had what they would call a business after hours where you'd go. And I was the guy that said, why don't we stop charging people for all of this stuff? They pay 400 or 300 or whatever it is to become a member. And then we want to charge them 10 bucks or 15 bucks for all these. And they feel like they're being nickeled and dimed. Absolutely. Am I wrong? No. I, and I as a businessman, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. thousand percent. And so I said, why not have business after hours at Bandemir Speedway or have it at Ramos Law or have it someplace and let them provide the food and let people come and see their company? And understand a little bit more about the you know what's going on, and that happened, and that's continued to happen. And by the way, that closed the back door, and so the chamber really grew at that point in time, and and had some really uh, phenomenal growth. Um, then when we got involved, we had eight grandkids. Um, they all went to Rooney Ranch Elementary School at the same time, and our daughters got involved in helping the teachers, and we started a program called Race to Read. And that's been a 22 or 23-year program now. And there's 30, 35,000 kids, K through six, every year. 
Wow. And I was going to ask about that. And is the race yeah. to read, is the impetus behind race to read your family's connection to education? Yes. So you saw mm -hmm. that. And, mm -hmm. and so they saw the need and the opportunity mm -hmm. to, to blend those things together. And now, like you say, 35,000 kids over two decades. Wow. No, 35,000 a year. Oh, wait, what? A year? <laughs> hundreds of thousands. Lots. Hundreds of thousands over yeah. decades. Yeah. Yeah, we've we just finished our twenty second year, and uh, we have usually as a rule sixty five to seventy five schools every year. So there's around thirty five thousand kids. And what do the kids do? How do so they read, and then what? They get to come to the track and they have and... a reading program, and we give them all kinds of special gifts. We give them pens that have a little dragster on the top of it, or we give them um, tattoos, or we give them shoelaces, or uh, you, uh, there's so many things that we have had bookmarks, those type of things, <coughs> and uh, but it's been a um, it's been a labor of love. Each school pays a very minimal amount to be involved. The rest of it is all completely covered by our foundation, and um, so that's been really good. It, there's a you know it's kind of like this. Somehow, some way, you need to be involved in the community. Correct. Uh, Solterra is a perfect example of that. And I'll come right back to Race to Read. You know, the Solterra homes, um, we really never wanted to see those be built. Yeah, because they're right across the street. For those yeah. people that don't know, the way that the drag strip is positioned, uniquely positioned, I think compared to any place else, and I haven't gone to a lot of racetracks, don't get me wrong, but right. it's right at the base of a mountain. It's right. ridiculous in its beauty. And then it was always a, a just a, a beautiful scape of fields and hills all the way down into the city. And now they've built this really kind of exclusive high-end home across. Right. So anyway, that's that's for those of you listening that don't know, that's what he's talking about when uh, John says that the Soltero is kind of encroached, if you will. Well, they have, and yeah. there's going to be more. There is going to be more. I heard there could be thousands more homes. 3,500 more homes. Yeah. Wow. So, and, and that'll make it to where it'll become more and more difficult to be able to do what we do. Right, because it's we'll, loud because of the noise factor. Correct. And traffic, yeah. Then we can maybe go to electric cars, huh? <laughs> I'm sure Everybody they'll- ask that question. They'll, they'll make some fast electric yeah. drag strips, dragsters. Can you see there that? Are, like Tesla. Are, those Teslas are fast they right are now. They are fast. But anyway, uh, put this into perspective. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying this because- you know, one of the things that's, to me, that really <laughs> is so exciting about Ramos Law is that not only is it a, a law firm, but it's a firm that also has the ability to, to with doctors mm. and to understand a little bit about the human body. Right. And, and, and that's really an important thing. It's really, I mean, talk about a deal that really makes it to where you've got... And when, when I heard that we were going to have a relationship, mm -hmm. I thought to myself, wow, is this a deal made in heaven? Because the thing is, then, I've, 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 then originally, I've, well, I wonder if this Joe Ramos knows the Lord. Ooh, yeah, that, that changes everything. Mm. That changes the whole game plan because of relationships. Yeah, we and, you know, um, with us being... Uh, partner with you now for finishing our first year uh, with the Ramos Law Band of Mirror Connection and going into our second year. 
it's been fascinating because it's a community that we had never connected with before, right? I mean, we've been connected with different sports organizations, both pro and amateur kids, non-kids, but we'd never really connected with the racing community. And it's been fascinating how they look at things. Um, you know, it's it's been really wonderful. We had a chance to do an event there, of course, where we got our team together and we all right. got in in dragsters Cars. and yeah, or not dragsters, we got in challengers, were right. they challengers? Right. And then we ripped up and down the track and, and had a great time. So how, how have you found in these relationships that you're talking about, John, um, that it's benefited your track with the connection to not just Ramos Law, but some of the other great partners you have, has that closed the back door for you? Or what does that do for you in the sense of these types of partnerships? Well, there's without any question, relationships are what make things work. Uh, our business, a lot of people don't understand our business, but our, our business is a lot like the, um, the symphony. Mm -hmm. The symphony does not sell enough tickets to pay the bills but they have sponsors that bring it to the point to where everything works. At the very first, we never sold enough tickets to be able to make it all work. And so the sponsors were, uh, were absolutely imperative that we had them to keep, you know, the doors open and keep things going. Now we do very well with selling tickets, but there's a lot of events where frankly, we don't even care if we sell a ticket, we'd rather give it away and have, the place packed with people, right? And and what that does is that really helps the uh, that helps the sponsors, right? And and whether you realize it or not, uh, this is a community. The racing community is very tight, and once they start to trust the race to read program, once they start to trust the Ramos Law, once they trust the Napa Auto Parts, whoever it might be, okay, mm -hmm. they are customers for life. Wow, and that's really what you—that's what you want. Mm -hmm. is you want to develop that. Yeah. Uh, when somebody comes along and knocks on your door, and you live in Solterra, let's say, and they say, you know, we don't like the noise over there. Would you sign this petition uh, to to get rid of them? If I have a family and that family has kids that were been in the race to read program or whatever, I mean, I, we virtually have had people say to us, we just had to say to them in a nice way, you know what, you can just throw that thing away because we're not supporting that. Right. I think that's... That's super special. Well, I think it tells the whole story. Right. Because that's why you want to be involved in people's lives so that you're, they, they understand. I'll tell you a very quick story. We have a big event, Race to Read culminates. The kids are all there. It's night of fire and thunder. I'm standing up in the pit area, and a lady comes up to me, and I don't know her from Adam. We're standing right there, and she says, do you come here very often? And I, and, <laughs> no, no that's what she said. And I said, yeah, I do once in a while. And, <laughs> and so she says, uh, I have never been here before, and I am absolutely blown away. So what's what? what Bad or, no. oh no, she said, it wasn't what I expected. My children are part of this race to read thing and they wanted to come out here and I didn't want them to come and I didn't want to come. But I came and she says, I was blown away that they had a prayer 
before they started. And then the playing of the national anthem. Well, I'm the guy who prayed. <laughs> okay, first of all. So, <laughs> so you knew that that had happened. I didn't say it. I, I, I just said, yeah, I said, that's kind of the way things are. I says, uh, well, I hope that you have, you enjoy it. And I hope that you have a great time. And uh, she said, oh, I'm positive we will. Well, I've told that story many times, but it just, sometimes people, until they come, Mm -hmm. you don't know what you got. Absolutely. You know, that's so important. I think if I'm looking at it, there's, I always divide any business, whether I'm talking to the people as a coach or involved in the business myself, if I can break it down into people, processes, and product, what, it, what are those three things? If yeah. you have those nailed, it's, it's going to make a, an experience that that person, that customer, client, patient, whatever, they're going to enjoy and then they're going to be able to uh, share with others. Do you have any really fundamental business principles? Because let's face it, you have what I would consider a legacy businesses. Most businesses don't last as long as yours right. has. Right. And so what could you share with entrepreneurs that might be listening as far as fundamental concepts on building or retaining or creating a legacy business like what you guys have done over there at Bandemir? All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's really basically the verse that I think I hold on to. Uh, not only that, but I think that when you realize, see, our our strength, and now I'm talking about now a person who understands not headwise. There's a lot of people today that have knowledge of God, but they've never really committed to God and, and opened their hearts to him. But once that happens, you then have the ability, uh, as the scripture tells us, that we have the ability to have... Uh, we could pray for the Lord to move that mountain and he'd move that mountain if we had that faith. I think the problem today that a lot of times we have in our businesses is that we don't really understand the, the, the power that we really have in our life to be able to... Uh, it, it's not my job, for example, to, to, to bring anybody to Christ, but it is my job to share. Mm. And, and so when I share, I want to make sure I share scripture. I don't want to just share stories. I don't want to share all that kind of stuff. And so Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 has become my, my lifelong verses. For by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And when you really take that, put that into practice and have that become the issue, now all of a sudden what you have is, um, you know, it's like I just talked to a gentleman that I wish Happy New Year to that's been a guy that sold insurance to me for years and years. He, he's out of Minneapolis or Indianapolis, I mean, and he had some surgery and I called him on the phone just to let him know that I was thinking about him. And I said, um, Kevin. If you don't make it through this surgery, are you on your way to heaven? <laughs> I put him on the spot. Yeah, I was going to say, well, there it is. <laughs> I did. And so he uh, he basically said, uh, no, but I, I, I'm thankful that you shared that. And so I immediately 
sent him a book and a couple of things that he could read. And I just got a really nice note from him and, and we'll see what happens. But the Holy Spirit is so powerful, but we don't realize that. Really don't realize that. And so I, anyway, the answer to your question, what do I have to share with somebody? You know, if, if a person will, will just really trust God, they have everything at their disposal, everything. Problem that we have today is that this world is just so, I mean, just today, I just, I just saw a deal where we are now going to say, you don't have to say, um, so help me God. Uh, that just came out of Washington. In other hmm. words, as you're giving testimony, they don't want God to be a part of it. Hmm. Let me tell you, if we take God out of our country, we don't have much. It's it's very uh, it, it's it's hard and it's and it's humbling and it's not only humbling but it's also very disappointing that we have people who are sitting in in control in Washington D.C. that are basically saying that they don't need God. Interesting. So obviously, for I mean, from the point of your youth growing up and business running, entrepreneurship, everything, God is the fundamental theme for you. Do you guys Absolutely. use that? Like, let's say you have non-Christian folks, because we're talking about the Christian sure. religion here, as opposed to Absolutely. any of the other great faiths um, mm -hmm. and ancient traditions. If someone comes into your company and your business and they don't have, do they, they don't share the same faith, it, how, do you guys, I mean, obviously you share with love. Talking about employees? Yes. We do have employees that don't share the same faith. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean we don't love them. Absolutely. And is there a train? Do you guys have a training program? And not this is different from faith. This is how you do what you do because the the spirit of love drives you know how yes. we treat people. Mm -hmm. The act of knowing what's right and doing the right thing is the act of picking up the trash when it's not your job. The act of <laughs> answering the phone correctly and understanding the elements. Do you, does Bandemir instill training or? Or is is the core values of love what you use to drive? I think that the that core, Disney experience. I, I think the core values. Uh, I. <laughs> it's really funny, but whenever I'm there, and whenever my wife is there, or my and my our family, which we've had this conversation, if we see a piece of trash, you always pick it up, because that's the best example that you can make. For anyone else that's there, absolutely. And and we we have racers, so it's kind of interesting to watch. And and we'll pick up trash, and next thing you know, they're all picking up trash. Yeah, they're they're you know they're not necessarily trash pickers, but they're right. They see it. They, they see, see it, it come from the top. And what's really rewarding, more rewarding than anything else, is to stand there at our national event and have a fellow. And I'd, I'll use his name because it's, it, I don't mind using it at all, but Don Schumacher has uh, probably five or six of the major race cars. Uh, if you look at every battery charger that you've ever used that's electric to, to charge a battery, it says, it says uh, Schumacher Electric on it. I don't know how many of those they make a day, probably 
thousands of them a day. Wow. Uh, he does very well. But the moral of the story is you stand there next to him and to have him say, John, I don't understand why and what it is, but when we come here, there is something different. Wow, that's the ultimate compliment. At the yes. end of the day, that's the ultimate compliment. It, and, you know, I, I want to, um, this has been such a great interview filled with just your personal passions and your faith and your mm -hmm. conviction about how you do what you do. I'd like to, as we kind of bring this into a, a close, ask you some popcorn type questions, okay. quick answers on a variety okay. of topics, and they'll pop into my head. I don't even have them listed, but here's the first one. Okay. What is your favorite all-time car of all these you've been racing your whole life your favorite car that people would know you know not something that none of us would hear because it was all built but mm -hmm. your favorite fast car or whatever and why 1957 chevrolet black widow um i we had i had one of them uh there was only 99 of them made uh i sold it when i got married i should have never sold it because if i kept the car it would be worth about three and a half million dollars no way Wow, there Just, were 99 of them made. That was all. How did you get your hands on a Chevy Black Widow? Chevrolet sold it to my dad for $1. <laughs> oh, do you know where it went? Were you able I to do. I traded it to a fellow from Kansas for a 57 or a 67 Pontiac Le Mans. And, and let me tell you, I think there might be one and there may be two what? of those left uh, somewhere. But there've been a lot of copies, you know, they try to make copies, but, uh, and they look pretty, they're like a duplicate type thing, but they're not the original. I still have the original where we ran, um, some of the stuff that was out of that car, but, uh, that was, that was a stupid move, but okay. Who knew? That answered that. Absolutely. What's your current favorite new, the, the car's out now. What's the, what's the favorite that you have? Well, probably the car that I now own is my most favorite car right now. It's a Dodge Demon. Uh, it's a 840 horsepower streetcar, and uh, I have uh, I was able to the Lord <laughs> allowed my son to talk to the Mopar people, and and uh, we got number 60, and that was our 60th year of being in business. And uh, it's it's very uh, it's it's really a neat car. Do you drive it often? I race it. You race it. I race it. I've actually blown it up already. And so <laughs> I've, I've had to have it. It's under warranty. <laughs> How fast will that run the quarter mile? It runs 127 miles an hour. Oh my goodness. Yep. And that's, that's pretty good for a big old, you know, 4,500 pound car. Wow. Yeah. What's the fastest um, speed that's ever been attained on Bandemir Speedway on that quarter mile drag strip? Well, for a thousand feet, uh, the uh, we now race the top fuel and funny cars for a thousand feet, and the fastest is three thirty three, three hundred and thirty three miles an hour, mm -hmm. thousand feet. That's something. Yeah, because that's the speed that planes fly at, right? That's like correct. Actually, a plane probably flies at between uh, three hundred and four hundred and fifty miles an hour. But it takes it takes about three hundred plus to get it off the ground. Wow, that's incredible. incredible. Now, Sporty, my son, drives a jet car, and he has actually gone 307 in a jet car. I can't even imagine what that feels like. He he says that it's, you know, 
just like driving a regular car. <laughs> I would think I, it would just I throw you that. back so it, far into it, the seat, like melt you into it. it. it I'm not, I'm kind of, <clears throat> I'm not that excited about that because see, if, if those cars have to have chutes to mm -hmm. stop and if the chutes fail, Rainbow's Law, where are you? Yeah, we're, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're all looking for something at that point. Like, yeah. where's our shoes at? Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, favorite place in the world that you've been? Uh, probably the favorite place in the world that I've been is Israel. Really? Mm -hmm. On a kind of, a, was it a pilgrimage? I went, a I went with kind of uh, Chuck Swindoll. Oh, did you really? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. It was fun. It was a hard, hard trip. Um, wish I would have done it completely different, but but it, it was uh, Lorraine and I and about five or six hundred of our favorite friends. And, <laughs> whew, I mean that big group like that. He when you go to Israel, you're almost better off to take and go with a a group of eighteen to twenty mm -hmm. and have somebody that's you know leads and uh, because there's a lot of walking mm -hmm. and and we were at that point where that was it was hard on us. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Best piece of advice you've ever been given? Best piece of advice. Um, love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, pure, sweet, simple. Well, that's deep right there. That's deep wisdom. And obviously that comes from the Bible. It's, it's a long, mm. long-term, uh, ancient piece of wisdom, but it never holds more true than today. I think, mm. uh, all the stuff we got going on. And everyone said that throughout generations, right? Like, yeah. like now is the time when we need this. That. Everyone's been saying that forever, yeah. but uh, I can't think of any more true time when love your neighbor as yourself holds true. And I think that's a great place for us to, to, to leave this because okay. if we can, if we can leave that piece of advice with the people listening, man, love your neighbor as yourself, which means first to me, love yourself. Do you know what that means? Do you know what it means to take care of you and make sure that you're doing the things that nourish your soul, that take care of your body. And then, and only then when you're right there, now you can love your neighbor, right? You can Amen. give them love. And, and that's a beautiful thing. And, and I'll tell you, um, John Bandemir Jr., what a great time. I thank you so much for giving of yourself and, and taking Thanks. time to meet with us. Invite and me back. I, I will absolutely invite <laughs> you back and I'll be seeing you at the track too. And by okay. the way, just for, just for the record here, I had the opportunity to win the Ramos Law Challenge Championship. So I was the end in all the brackets I finished first. So I proudly sport that trophy on my desk. Ladies and gentlemen, this <laughs> fellow weighs maybe 160 pounds or less. <laughs> and drag racing is weight to cubic inch. And so if you weigh not quite as much as your competitors, and you get a good light, you can win. So we'll see if he can repeat this next year. Wait, wait. Uh, to be official, it's 183. Oh. 183. So get, <laughs> Well, he doesn't look like There's that, some reaction know. time in there somewhere. Third place. <laughs> <laughs> and and our, our guest uh, our guest recorder, Ian, got third place. So he killed it too. And he's 6'7". So good we're, we're working on it. But we so appreciate and love our relationship with you, you between Ramos Law and, and Bandemir Speedway. We look forward to a long healthy, enduring relationship and, and wish you all the best. Moving we do forward. too. Thanks. All right. Thanks Bye again. Bruce. Have a great day. You bet.